Hello and welcome to Matt and Brett Love Comics. This is one of your hosts, Brett White. This is your other host, Mr. Matt Little. Uh, Matt and Brett Love Comics is the show where we take comics and talk comics with comics and other comic fans, uh, such as the gentleman that we have in our digital studio today. Yeah, it's a digital studio now, guys. Deal with it. (laughs) We're all in the cloud. (laughs) Mr. Pat Moika. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Hey, Pat. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show, first off. Uh, no problem, Matt. I'm, I'm doing good. How are you guys? Great. I'm doing excellent. Uh, I'm doing yeah, excellent. I'm not going to speak for Brett. No. This is... We are in competition right now. Yep. Who is going to be the cooler person in this podcast? Yeah. Uh-huh. Who's going to be cooler? Yeah. That's, the, that's the competition we have right now. Uh, if you basically, if you were on the internet and you like comics, then you probably already know who Pat Loika is. because, Or if you've, <laughs> if you've ever picked up a Marvel book, such as Fearless Defenders, then you are aware of who Mr. Pat Loika is. Yeah. You are... I mean, like, you're, you're, one of, you're a professional fan, almost. In a way, like... Did he even say that? Is that, is that, is that does that I, even work? Professional fan? No, but that's like... You, uh, you've almost... I feel like everyone knows who you are because you love comic books and are a nice person, <laughs> which... Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I um, think, like... You are. You, are. Like, you have a reputation that precedes you, and I mean that in the best way of... I, I've never... I, I've, one, brought you up... Like, not like, uh, you know, you, you talk about people that you meet at conventions and stuff, and you've come up before, and I've never had anyone have anything but uh, glowing and effusive praise for you, because yeah. you're a good dude. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate the thought. Uh, <laughs> I try not to think about it too much because I don't. I, well, first of all, I don't want this sort of thing to get to my head. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, every now and then. I mean, sometimes if you, if you just you know, I don't know. I, I try not to let public opinion kind of sway me. I just kind of keep doing the things I'm doing because I, I don't want to get pressured to do you know <laughs> all kinds of. Not yeah. See, I, I see now I'm, now I'm on the spot. And I'm, now I'm feeling kind of nervous. But Ooh, um, yeah. um, <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. I, um, well, yeah, you, I, you're I, also I, you're also the host. Like you're also the host of a really successful, awesome podcast, Loikomania, uh, where you get guests that are people that I've always wanted to hear talk to. Like your Chris uh, Chris Anka episode was amazing. Like I've loved that guy's work for years. I was like, oh, now I get to hear him talk. This is great. Yeah, well, one of the things I like to do is I, I like to get people who I don't really hear on podcasts. You know, I mean, there's certain folks who do all the podcasts, and then there are folks that you never hear about, and I'm just like, right. I want to talk to that guy. I want to hear him. And, you know, like with Chris Anka, we talk to each other all the time. I mean, I met him in person at San Diego Comic-Con last year. And I, and I remember me, when I met him last year, I, I actually got a bunch of sketches from him last year. Because I've seen his stuff on the internet for, you know, for quite some time. And I figured out a way to get a hold of him. And and you know you you'll hate me when you find out how much I paid for my sketches from him. <laughs> but I got I pick I got like five characters from him, and 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 next thing you know we you know, we DM each other and we are both fans of House Lannister from Game of Thrones. Nice. <laughs> and, and and you know like I wish you'd talk on the podcast. And then finally got him on, and and he's he's fun. Uh, he he's a good dude. And, and there's a lot of guys who are like that. That you know. You you once you really got to know them and you start getting them to talk, they're they're just the most relaxed people and have become very compelling to listen to. Like I I just remember my chat with David Aja, for example. He oh, rarely yeah. does shows. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, he's he's fun. Yeah, there's a lot of folks who like we don't hear enough of. Uh, but then when you get them on, you you just like they have so much to say, they have so much to contribute, and, and they're 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 fascinating. Um, you know, I, I like getting colorist letters on the show oh, yeah. because you know n- not enough. You know, those guys are in- pretty essential to the comic making, and I feel like they're not getting a representation. So uh, you know, I I think I may have been the first person to get Dean White on the podcast or jo- and uh, uh, Jordy Belair. I think yeah. I'm, I'm very I'm very proud of of of. Uh, of but I've done with the podcast and the type of guests that I've had on, so I'm, I'm very excited by how the whole thing has has turned out. Yeah, it's a great it's you a should. great read, and I heartily suggest everyone listen to it. Yeah, what Pat? What uh, what what drew you to comics as a genre, and and as a follow up, what keeps you what keeps you coming back? Um. The first time I got into comics, I just remember, uh, you know, I love cartoons. Uh, I got into comics because of Transformers. I, I love the Transformers yeah. cartoon, and I wanted more. I, I couldn't get enough because I was growing up in the Philippines, and I didn't know when they didn't, you know, I, I discovered Transformers through, through uh, a Betamax tape. <laughs> and, and I watched Amazing. it, and I, want, I wanted more, and I was given a copy of Transformers number three, featuring Megatron fighting Spider-Man. Oh, yes. Wow. Yes. And, that was my gateway into comics. Now I, I was I, I was mainly reading X. Uh, I mean I was mainly reading those comics for all you know, the the toys of GI Joe and Transformers until I was introduced to Avengers and X Men stuff. Yeah. And from there, you know, from there I just uh, you know it, it just I just blew up. You know I I just couldn't stop. And, uh, and while every now and you know I wasn't quite a regular reader. I wasn't, you know, I gotta go to the shop this week, I, I gotta find the next book this week. Uh, a story got me hooked onto the onto the, uh, onto the the characters forever, and that was Infinity Gauntlet. Yes! First, first of all, Infinity Gauntlet is basically the story of a guy who would really love this girl and could not get her to show us any affection towards him. And <laughs> yeah. so he's lashing out, which is something we can all relate with, and I was having really bad girlfriend problems at the time so it spoke <laughs> yes. to me and, uh, and, and, and of course um, and there was something going on in that book which I thought would never happen that was the first time I've experienced an event as it, as it was taking place yeah. uh, I had to wait every month for the next issue and I was worried like oh my god did they really kill Wolverine and turn him into rubber did oh they man really issue 4 yeah. oh man issue 4 of Infinity Gauntlet was so I remember being so nervous after putting that book down. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I, uh, I remember Cyclops, his, you know, his head getting encased in a block of, you know, a force, force block. Yes. And, 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 and just seeing him in the background, Captain America trying to free him while Wanda was getting killed by Thanos. I'm just like, oh no! <laughs> yes. And I think, man, you, you guys pissed off the wrong Titan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for real. But yeah, that that made me a fan for life, and uh, and I think it's because the characters were very complex. You know, Th- you know, Thanos is not a one note villain. Right. He's a guy who just he just wants to be loved, and in Aww. the end, he couldn't get that love. He lashed out. So yeah, I I, I thought it was fascinating, and it got me hooked. And of course. Uh, at that point, I was also reading other books too. You know, I was I was into X Men stuff, and the X Men stuff really got me too. Even though uh, growing up in the Philippines, it was not easy to get a comic store. Like my my uh, my road to the comic store usually involves uh, there's there's you know I, I went to school. Uh, the bus 
in it, part of its roots, you know, the school bus takes us through this this place where there's a comic shop nearby, and a small group of my friends and I, we would bribe the school bus driver to drop us off at the comic store while they drop off the other kids into that subdivision, of, you know, and and then on their way out, you know, that's that's when we that's when we get picked up and we we got yeah. comics. Uh, yeah, we yeah we br- we bribe school bus drivers. <laughs> That's so fun. And, and, and that was and, and I wanted to spend my allowance on my comics. I would you know, and we didn't have uh, the no, we didn't have pull lists or whatever. We were at the mercy of whatever uh, yeah whatever comics they got. So I just like I just remember looking at the wall of comics like I want that one, that one, that one. Yeah, and, isn't and, it uh, weird? Like that's it's so it was so much more inefficient when we all first started reading comic books. But in some ways, like, I look back on that weird uncertainty. Like, for me, it was always going to a grocery store and just looking and, like, what do they have? Like, I had no idea when comics came out. I didn't know they came out on Wednesdays. Like, it was always just, I don't know, you look back kind of nostalgically on those, like, being a wide-eyed kid looking at a wall of comics and being like, I want that one and that one. I don't know when the next one's coming out. This is great. Yeah. I don't know. And, and and to kind of tie it into uh, the uh, the topic we're about to get into shortly, the uh, the first time ever that that comic store offered something where you could pre-order, Ooh, you know, wow. where you could pre-order something and get everything in that in that in that story was for this story called Executioner Song. That's amazing. They were they were touting it as the sequel to the Extinction Agenda, and and and, and I'm like, wait, I remember reading that. I don't know if this is a sequel or not because I don't remember any of these other characters being an extinction agenda, but whatever. Uh, I, I I remember they had like this poster with Strife, Apocalypse, and Mister oh. Sinister, and, and I'm just like, okay, I want to see this. So they I had to put down a deposit of fifty pesos, and yeah. I had to uh, wow. and I had to kind of pay them in installments until I paid the whole thing off. And next thing you know, uh, I'm I'm guaranteed a copy of that. Of those issues because they were talking about how they're hyping how they're polybagged with trading cards and yeah. uh, it's going to, and 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 the and the store of course was feeding into the speculator thing because they don't know any better back then they're like oh this could mean this could be worth a lot of money down but back you know together if you sell them if you get them as a set I'm like oh I want to I just oh, want to yeah. read the story I was just ready for this yeah so I I pre-ordered it and I just remember being so shocked. When I got through that through that first issue, but oh, we'll so get into that when yeah. when we get into that. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's fun. It was kind of weird growing up in the Philippines and being a comic book reader, and then moving to the states as an adult. I just remember like the the how amazing it was. Wait, what is this thing called? It's a pull list, <laughs> <laughs> it, and then yeah. it made my life so much easier. Um, of course, you know. I mean, unfortunately, in San Diego, I, I don't really have any favorite comic store, and, and I, uh, I I'm mostly digital now, and I order uh, I order my uh, my collected editions online. So it, my buying habits have changed, but I still spend quite a bit of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good transition into our topic for the day, which is Executioner Song, which super excited about. Um, we now we know how Pat discovered it. Uh, Matt, what is your background with Executioner Song? Okay, so with Executioner <laughs> Song, I was I was definitely on board with the X Men. I got sucked in with Extinction Agenda, and uh, it, it was 
it was cool to see all the books crossing over with one another and seeing how all the characters were playing off of each other. Uh, I followed Uncanny through after that and was on board through the relaunches with Jim Lee, uh, Portasio, Stroman, Liefeld, like the entire the entire revamp of the line. I was on board with all of it. And I remember reading Wizard and them saying, you know, uh, Lee and Portasio and Liefeld have all these big plans for the X-Universe, for the big crossover that's coming, and then they all left Marvel. And I remember feeling, uh, as, a, as a, like a fan, as a kid, I was like, I felt betrayed. Because <laughs> I, I, I was so excited to see those creators and those artists work on these books uh, and then they were gone, and the uh, the group that was in place, looking back on it, is is still great. But I remember being, uh, I remember being a brat about it when it first came out. <laughs> mm-hmm. You still bought uh, all of them, right? Oh, of course I did. Two <laughs> yeah, copies. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. again, speculator mode. When you're when you're a kid and you go into the store and they have like thirty copies of it, they're like, you should get two keep one of them sealed and you're like, ah, take my mom's money. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty, uh, I, I was, I was a little bratty about it at first, but it won me over once I got to read the entire thing in one sitting for sure. Yeah. I, um, I came on, I mean, the executioner song kind of started around the same time as the cartoon in late 1992. Like, That's fall right. 92. So that is when I first discovered the X-Men. So I came on with the X-Men as they were gearing up for Fatal Attractions. Uh, Ooh. So I missed all of Executioner's song as it was being published. But at that time, like, all of these issues were all... I think they, most of them were available in those... Like, a, like when you go to Walmart, you would just get, like, a bundle of comics. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure I got most of them in that fashion. I know I, I definitely got Uncanny 294 and X-Factor 84, the first two issues of it, in just like big bundles of comics that I just bought at a department store or something. And yeah. and it was cool seeing all the characters because the, the status quo wasn't that different. All the characters still look the same. They're all kind of still in the same formations. Um, so it was cool seeing how they got to that part. To that part. And then it just became my mission to track down all 12 parts. <laughs> Somehow, I think I like the last, like the last couple, or like the the I think like part eleven was like the last one that I bought. Um, but I read X Factor eighty four over and over again, and as I almost like that issue was kind of almost a Rosetta Stone of my fandom in a way. Like <laughs> you look at that issue, and it is packed with so many interactions that as I became more educated about the history of the X-Men and where the X-Men would go, that issue just rings so true. It just uh, has so much great shit in it. Um, but yeah, that that's... And then Executioner's Song just became my favorite thing, and I would read it from beginning to end all the time as a kid. Uh, to the point where now it's still one of my favorite stories. So we all have fond memories of Executioner's Song. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> I just rem- I, I just remember you know being so excited you know, like I mentioned I, I we we would we would bribe the bus driver to take us there I just remember like it's always disappointing when the next chapter is not out yet yeah yeah because, because we were we weren't we didn't know what shipping schedules were that was, you know but us uh, 
we thought we were ignorant of all that stuff. We were just like, okay, hopefully it's there. Well, yep. as a, as adults looking back, Matt, you're Matt is almost like my go-to guy for like behind-the-scenes dirt <laughs> of like early '90s comics from before the internet really <laughs> existed. Like, I wonder, like, did any of these books run late, or were they all on time? Do you have any inkling? I don't even know. These were all on time. So this was like weekly. This was this at most. At most, they would have missed a week and shipped two in one week. Yeah, and that might have happened in like the third month of the crossover. But this was consistently on time, which is surprising, given given how big it was. And also the artists involved, which we mentioned how all those A-list artists all left the books, and like, I mean, uh, Andy Kubert takes over X-Men with this storyline. <laughs> Yeah. That's right. And is this one yeah. of Jay Lee's first things? Uh, um, Jay- he did Namor before this. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, this, this was, uh, he has such a strange and dark, I, I going back and rereading it, I felt like uh, Jay Lee's style wouldn't be out of place if you saw it on, like, liquid television on MTV oh, no. yeah. in the early 90s. You know, well, my my boyfriend saw it last night when I was reading it. And he was like, "That looks like fashion, like high fashion illustration." Yeah, like it almost looks like some of the images of the women look like that Duran Duran album cover, yep. or like you know, like that um the style of art that you see in hair salons still. Yeah, like those eighties high fashion model, like uh, minimalist but like flowing cool hair. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> his art really looks like that. And it's crazy, like, you look back, you were saying, like, you were mad about these artists, but, like, looking back, all of them have gone on to have such huge careers. Oh, huge. And, and it, shows you, it shows you how good they were, too. Um, looking, looking at this in, a, like, a remastered trade, with the colors processed and on nicer paper, it looks so much better than it did on, like, the original pages. Pat, yeah. did you... Did you read this uh, digitally or like in a trade? Um, I've I've read yeah I've read it in all forms. When oh, I saw okay. that it came, I mean I had the hardcover already, but then I yeah. saw it came out digitally. Like I have to get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I bought the like, like I don't I don't double dip often. Um, I only but like when I saw this, I am in love with all the hardcovers Marvel has been doing mm. of all these '90s things with the with the covers that are recolored and. Yeah, the the amazing backup material that when I saw they were doing Executioner song, I broke my don't double dip rule immediately. I was like, you have to get that. So I read this in my nice hardcover, and it felt so good. <laughs> you know, you only bought it because you wanted a strife strike file oversized form, right? Oh, oh yeah, yep. oh, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and this really cool. Um, there's like a Marvel Age, I think. Is it yes. Marvel Age? Yeah, there's a, there's a Marvel Age Executioner song, uh, like interview in the back of it. It's pretty great. Um. But can we, like, uh, just to give people who haven't read Executioner's Song, which you definitely should, um, mm-hmm. an overview of the plot. Like, this is basically Strife throwing the biggest temper tantrum ever. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> like, um, Professor, like, the very first issue, Professor X gets uh, assassinated. They think it's Cable. Surprise, surprise, Cable and Strife look the exact same. Uh, they don't know why. And then, basically, all the X-teams start scrambling to deal with the fallout of Professor X getting assassinated, Cyclops and Jean Grey getting mysteriously captured by the Four, horse, four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, um, Mr. Sinister's involved, Apocalypse, Stripe. It's a big, big cast. 
of characters and bad guys. Uh, we, we all love our supervillain teams, and <clears throat> this book had, this storyline has the Dark Riders. Oh, yeah. You got the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and you got the Mutant Liberation Front. <laughs> yeah, this was, um, this entire story is jam-packed with some really great villains and the way that they're sort of incorporated throughout the story, I thought made for like a really satisfying, like, like Mr. Sinister plays a role in this, that he sort of double crosses because he's Mr. Sinister and, uh, he fades out of the picture after a while and then comes back at the very end, but it all, I, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that the <laughs> that that the the balancing act they did with the cast of characters that you just mentioned is what uh, was fantastic. Yeah, because uh, there's a lot happening there's here. So much. Yes. Uh, Pat, have you ever read this? I mean, like, how often do you read this from beginning to end, like in one sitting? I've re- I, I think I've reread this thing. You know, I, I I I think at least once a year. Okay. I, I, there's something about the story. I, it just, you know, I, I just, it just brings back a lot of fond memories for me. And, you know, it, it was the X-Men at a period where, as far as, you know, creatively, we were kind of thinking, okay, they're, they're down but not out, and they're, 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 still, they're, they're still fighting because, you know, they just lost all those big names. Uh, and, and then showing, hey, look, we still got it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I enjoyed that. I thought it was, it was a fun story. Uh, there's a part of me that was, was you know, because I was still young when I was reading this. I was there's a part of me that was thinking something along the lines of a rock opera down the line. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, and uh, and the thing that stra- that that you know, also one of the things I love looking at, you know, to read this for is to look at the art and how much these guys who have drawn this this book have evolved since then. If you, if you told me that, that that Brandon Peterson is the same Brandon Peterson who's yeah. around right now, yep, you know, and and, and Greg Capullo and, and uh, Andy Kubert, or even Jay Lee, yeah, they're all. But, you know, um, I will say, uh, like this is, I think this is the first time that I've read it. I read it in two chunks. I read the first eight chapters last night and the last four tonight, and it reads, it hangs together really, really well when you're reading it all back to back. There is so much going on that I think if you do pause in between chapters, you might lose a lot of it. But this is the first time I read it, and I was like, oh, no, I get, like, Apocalypse has a motivation, Strife has a ton of motivation, Mr. Sinister has a motivation. They're all different motivations, and they all bounce off each other really well. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean, yep. yeah. I didn't notice that before, really. Yeah, there are mm-hmm. a lot of machinations within machinations in this. <laughs> Especially with Strife and all the stuff he tries to pull. Like that, that, yeah. that baby, that little baby gag he's he set up. What happens to that baby? What I don't happen- know. That baby, where is that baby? And how did that baby look just like the baby Cyclops just gave up? <laughs> Guys, what? I just know, this is now coming to mind. <laughs> but did that baby get blown up? No. Yeah, and then there's also other things you gotta wonder about, you know, like the Dark Riders. How many times are they going to switch bosses? Oh, yeah. There's- oh, man. <laughs> Those, Those guys. guys. <laughs> um, there's not speaking of like I don't know, like kind of like d- talking about these unresolved plot threads in a way. There is a unresolved plot thread. Oh, I can't remember what issue it is, but it's early on, and it's with Psylocke, and it cuts to Professor X who has been shot. He has a techno. It was like a techno organic bullet, and it's like 
encasing his body, shredding, spreading like a cancer almost. And he's in the med bay, alone. And Psylocke is standing over him. And she just looks at him and is like, I know what it's like to like have my body taken out of my own control. If it comes down to it, like I will kill you, basically. Like I'll put you yeah. out of your misery. And then they're like, uh, hey, Psylocke, we need you in the main room. She's like, be right there. And then she leaves. And it never is mentioned again. <laughs> yeah, that was her. Happy, she, she, was, she was having a moment. Yeah. No doubt. It's just and really like, cool that they gave her that moment. I was like, I don't remember this. They don't do anything with this. This is weird and great. <laughs> well, it's the same way they gave, they gave you know, Colossus. Colossus gets that moment later, right? Um, yeah. Every, everyone, they do find the time to give everyone at least, like, some contemplative moment. Wolfsbane and Gambit. Wolfsbane yeah. and Gambit on the flight where they're having, like, an ends justify the means thing. And Gambit's like, hey... I'm not going to blame the soldiers for the general's mistake or whatever. And it's like, wow! Yeah. And 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 then the, the moment with Lorna and Havoc where they're, and they're looking up, you know, the X-Force, you know, imprisoned at the danger room. And they're like, they're kids, you know? They're, they're, you know, everyone's having their moments and everyone, it's real, you know, everyone's just being human, you know? Yeah. And even yep. though this is like a big event, you know, big you know, event type story. It's, they somehow squeeze the characterizations in there, and even and, and most of the times, it's characters who don't even belong in that title that you're reading at that moment. Yeah, you know, uh, that moment was in Uncanny X Men. You got X Factor members having this moment. You know, it's it, that sort of thing happened all the time. Yeah, like one of my favorite moments for Boom Boom happens in uh, an issue of X Men, uh, X Men number fifteen, and that's you know, Hubert Art Nizia is writing it, but like Boom Boom gets her jaw broken by Skids. And, oh, she, yeah. and she doesn't yeah. stop talking, and Cannonball's like, incredible. Even with a broken jaw, she can't shut up. I love that. <laughs> uh, oh, so good. Um, and there's also, in the in the last chapter, like, Strife... Strife has taken Cyclops and Jean Grey and put them in, like, this giant time vortex thing and a, and a bubble around them to keep out anyone who doesn't have Summer's DNA. But Cable and Havoc make it through. But Havoc, like... It's hurt a little bit, and then like Strife's like, "Oh, I didn't plan it. I didn't. Oh, I didn't program it for the brother to make it in." And Havoc says, "Like, yeah, the machine kicked me pretty hard for not being Cyclops, but I've been doing that to myself for years." <laughs> yes, I love. And then that's Nizier's writing that. That's not Peter David. I love yeah. that. They somehow were able to to you know, kind of keep the voices of these characters consistent throughout, which is. Always good, which is always fascinating to me. Yeah, and and, and you gotta wonder, and the, and of course everyone was you know the, it was the, the era of freelancing already, so not all of them were in the same you know place hatching out these plots and going over each other's things, and no, there was no email at the time either, so you just gotta wonder yeah. how you know how much you know they they how much research or or how much effort these guys really put into writing these little bits. Is there a lot of phone calls? Probably. Um, oh, had to be. Yeah. Oh. oh. And, that, and yeah, and there's so many little, oh, just it, it has so many great moments for characters. I think it's it's probably more. I I, I realize that I'm digging a lot more of those little moments in the actual main story stuff just because yeah, it really did a good job fleshing out the characters. There's um, I love oh guys, 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 guys. I love Bishop in this story. Oh when, yes, when he when they're back at the mansion and Bishop is just like livid that the press like rightfully so. Because he's come back in time to stop you know anything bad from happening to the X-Men. And Professor X just got shot. So Bishop grabs his guns and goes out on the front lawn. 
and is just mm-hmm. standing there with these two giant future weapons, just being like, I'm standing guard, no one's getting past me, and then Mr. Sinister gets past him. Yeah, like, immediately. <laughs> but, like, Jubilee brings him coffee or something. Mm-hmm. I love that, it's so cute. Um, oh, uh, to even, to, to take it back to the beginning with Uncanny, like, 394, there's so much character stuff in that. Uh, you get Jean Grey calling Cyclops out for having a crush on Psylocke. Mm, then you yeah, get Colossus that. and Iceman shopping and then both talking about their, like, Iceman getting dumped by Opal and Colossus's brother having just committed suicide. And then on the page after that, you have Storm and Gambit talking for the first time in a long time. And Storm being like, hey, you, di- you went to another team. You didn't tell me you were married. I don't- Are we friends? Just yeah. such crazy, like, great stuff. Are there any other yeah. uh, character moments that we haven't touched upon like that? I mean, I feel like that's uh, that's what we're going to be talking about, probably, because there's so much yeah, of that, it. That's, that's, that's really what stood out. I mean, heck, even... even the, uh, I'm trying to remember... I, I actually I was flipping for the book. I just saw the page where Bishop says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand guard. <laughs> I'm going to bust out my huge gun. <laughs> it's so great. I will not fail him protecting his dream a second time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, Jubilee takes him, like, a muffin and some coffee. Mm-hmm. I just love the idea of, like, Bishop mm-hmm. drinking coffee and eating a muffin. Yep. I feel like he wouldn't put his gun down. Like, he would still have one gun while eating a muffin. <laughs> He'd put it on the edge of the gun and then eat it off the gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to keep... And, and, and you know what's also great about this is the, all the the humor that they have in this thing, guys. Yeah, it, it's such a serious book. There's some there's some really serious stuff going on, and somehow they're able to slip in a little bit of humor in there, a little bit of levity that we could get into, and even some really dark humor involving Archangel and uh, <laughs> and, and, and Kamikaze. Yes, yes, oh, yes. Yeah, that was I think Boom, I think Boomer saw what saw yes, what happened. Boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, it was Boom Boom. Yeah, and she like yeah. throws up. <laughs> Uh, they're fighting the Mutant Liberation Front to try and get... Oh, what, what are they trying to do? They're tracking down the Mutant Liberation Front because they figure out it's Strife, and they're trying to find Strife. And they're fighting the MLF, and what, like, Forearm just throws Archangel, and Archangel's like, yeah, that's real smart, throw the guy with wings. And then yeah. Kamikaze's coming up behind him, and Archangel just, like, flexes, and his wing just cuts off Kamikaze's head. It oh, wasn't even... Man. It was an accident. That's... Oh man, um, that it, makes it, it, me. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. It, it felt like such a deadpan moment too, because of, because of the way Jay Lee's art looked as well. Yeah. yeah. So it was just like it, the way it was played off was just really well done. You know. You were. Oh no, no, that's okay. I, I like. So going back, based on what we know about these characters' interactions in 2013 and seeing them sort of run into each other for the first time now, like you see a lot of, you see a lot of these characters, like especially from Peter David's most recent X Factor runs, like meeting for the first time. Yeah. Like this is the first time that I think that Shatterstar and Strong Guy meet. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh... You also you know, get, um... Shatterstar gets hurt, and you hear Richter, like, Richter's like, Oh, no, Shatterstar's hurt. Yeah. Which, at the time, like, there was no inkling that they were gonna be a couple. At all. No. But, like, you can easily go back and read this and just, I don't know, like, fold that into your understanding of the characters. Yep. And it just seems like it was planned all along, which is great. It's cool. Yeah. 
And um, I, I don't know, like, I like going back and seeing where, you know, characters came from to yeah. where they are now. Especially Big one, those sort of... uh, Cable and Bishop meeting for the first yeah. time. Yeah. And those two would become super arch enemies. Oh, yeah, and that was a meeting at the time that people, like, that, that X-Factor issue where it's C- uh, Cable versus Wolverine and Bishop, that was <laughs> something at the time that everyone yeah. seemed to be just like, salivating at the idea because those are like the three hottest characters in the franchise yeah the, the having first of all having them fight and then finally team up you know that's that's yeah. that was that was a big moment and, and of course you got bishop and cable who are both time travelers with big guns yeah you know yep there's a really great um when they first meet and bishop like puts his gun to cable's head and Cable, this is a Jay Lee, Peter David issue, and Cable just looks at him and is like, you should really switch to decaf. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and then I love in the last in the last Peter David, Jay Lee, X-Factor issue, where I feel like in that issue there's a lot of commentary from Peter David about, oh, yeah. about like, I mean, the X-Factor issues are where you're pretty much getting the most unfiltered view of an author's opinion of this story. Because Peter David... Um, is just shoehorning, like, trying to still advance the plots that he's been delicately putting together in his book that have just been derailed. Yeah. Um, especially like, in those second two chapters where almost no X-Factor characters even appear in those books. Yeah, like, the second chapter, I think, was all Cable, Wolverine, and uh, and Bishop. Yeah. Yes. And he, like, Stuck would, in the satellite. Yeah. And he would work in, like, a page or a panel going back to the expatriates thing. Yes. Um, but the, the, in, the, in that last issue... Well, they did, they discover they can teleport to like Strife's base is on the moon, and they are in Grey Malk in a space station. But they can only body slide there once the Professor Cable's uh, robot butler type person figures out how to like calibrate the tele- teleporting uh, teleporting technology. And so they're just like, eh, I guess we'll sit around and play cards. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it just cuts. And Wolverine was carving you know stuff on the on the table, yeah. and yeah, and they're just sitting there. For an entire yeah. issue, they're just sitting there <laughs> while things happen around them. They had nothing better to do. They were stuck. Well, they no. even say, like, I'm bored. Me too. Let's go. We're gone. <laughs> that, Almost was their, like, that was like their elevator scene. Yeah. Uh, um, but when I, when I met Peter David the first time, I did take one of these issues to him. To have him sign it, and I don't Uh-oh. give a shit about signatures, but there was one issue I had to have him sign, because it means a lot to me. Yeah. And I know he hates, it's pretty well known that he hates Executioner's Song, I think, um, and Fatal Attract, like, he left X-Factor, the book that was critically acclaimed and beloved, because of all these crossovers. But I wanted to let him know that X-Factor 84, Chapter 2, is perfect. Um, if we want to get into this thing that I've been like teasing for weeks now. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, So, so what? What about this issue makes it perfect, guys? High praise. Um. Well, like as we were saying, Executioner's song is kind of hinged on these character moments. Um, and I think all crossovers, the reason that we read crossovers and enjoy them is because we like seeing characters clash and come together and interact that don't normally do that. Like, uh-huh. fights are great, big fights are great, but you can kind of get those in any comic book of the month. 
what we want are these huge character, uh, these crazy character combinations. And X Factor 84 basically distills, <clears throat> like, the, the three big status quos of the X-Men at this time and just ping-pongs them around and twists them and exploits them and has fun with them in just, on just every single page. Um, because the structure of this is, they think Cable assassinated Professor X, so who are they going to go after? X-Force. They're the only ones who would know. Uh, but they've been weird terrorist teenagers for a little while. The X-Men have wanted to bring them in for justice for a while. Just so happens there's another team of X-Men that are sponsored by the government, X-Factor. So having X-Factor go arrest X-Force feels like this thing that I'm sure fans wanted to see for a long time. Um, And when you look at the lineups of those teams, like, I love that it is, like, Wolfsbane and Strong Guy that go there first. And I love that when they're, like, hiding, they run to Central Park where Professor X was murdered to investigate the crime scene, and Strong Guy, like, radios back, like, oh, oh, shit, Alex, uh... We've just run into X-Force, and Ox is like, do not, do not run into them. Wolfsbane is there? This is the worst thing that could happen. And Groot yeah. is like, okay, yeah, got it. Not going to let them. And then Rain's just like, Sam! Uh, Alex, change of plans. Yeah. Um, and then that next page, you get to see Feral and Wolfsbane going at, like, I don't like her smell. I don't like your face. Now move it, sister. Scottish, right? Yes, loved it. Uh, And then you get, like, Boom Boom and Wolfsbane, like, oh my gosh, I love your dude, Tabitha, it's like a reunion. Then you got, like, Richter and Wolfsbane kissing, because they used to be a couple, and then Wolfsbane, like, bites him because she gets worked up, and then Tabitha's like, wow, Rain getting worked up, what next, Mother Teresa working at a strip joint? It's just, every page has these great little nuggets from all these characters, um... The thing that I didn't pick up on until I reread all of X-Men is Havoc's point of view. Because like we uh, had discussed uh, previously, like, Havoc was an X-Man. He was a peer of the rock star mutant team, the X-Men. Yeah. And, but he never, like, really cut it. But now he's the leader of a team. He's got a team. It's just, he's so embarrassed (laughs) of all these weirdos. And I love that scene where they're in the hospital... And, like, Rain is freaking out about the professor, and it's amazing. But Alex walks up, and who's waiting but Bishop and Storm. And you look at the way Jay Lee has drawn them. Like, they look like utter rock stars. Yes. Like, every time the X-Men proper appear in this issue, they are treated with this reverence, holier-than-thou, super coolness that is the antithesis of X-Factor. And it is just fascinating to me. And then you get... Alex is meeting his former teammates for the first time since he is now the leader of X-Factor, and he wants to impress them. He wants them to, like, understand, like, no, I'm doing a good thing, please, we used to be peers, I'm still cool. And you have Guido showing up late because he was too busy fucking one of the expatriates, and he just turned yep. off his headset. And you get that, that great, um, because I ordered you to, cupcake line. Guys, I can just keep going, it's just amazing. Yeah. It's, it, it's, this issue is why Ex- Executioner's Song is perfect and why it exists. Uh, so many great moments. Um, I love when Havoc and Polaris show up on the big battlefield with X-Force, and Havoc's like, you're not going to get a free pass like last time, and Polaris just says, thanks for rubbing my nose in that, Havoc. Yeah. <laughs> because just a couple months prior, she let Cannonball go. 
I don't know. What did you guys think of X Factor 84? Am I insane? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. It's, it, yeah. you know, I never even looked at it from that angle, and you bring up a lot of really interesting points, especially, again, like the idea that this is something that's thrown upon the book, too, number one, right? Uh, here, here, once again, is Peter David being handed an edict and turning it into, you know, turning it into gold, right? Yeah. He gives us, he gives us the definitive, like, Archangel solo character moment in this book, right? Uh, like, in the entire storyline. Yeah. And it's not even, it's not even Archangel's book, and he still nails it in a page. Um, I love that that again, that juxtaposition, and I never really realized that until you brought it up. Of like, Bishop and Storm do look like they strolled in, uh, <laughs> like a Calvin uh, Klein shoot or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seriously, look at the last page when the X Men Blue Team shows up, and Wolverine's face is all in silhouette. It's yeah. almost like he is the faceless authority. Like he is just beyond anyone even really seeing him. He's just too cool. I don't know. Yeah. That's uh, such a badass panel, too. When they yeah. Oh, God, Jay Lee's art in this book. And again, too, like I was, I remember when it first came out, I was bratty about it. But looking back on this, there's so many cool, like, like his layout is really phenomenal. And like the angular style and the, the personal touches that he adds of like blotting out Wolverine's face there and just turning him into like the, the, you know, this. Yeah. Predator. The blood splatter on Strong Guy's chest on that page where Shatterstar is like jumping on him, slicing him while Strong Guy has Pharaoh by the tail, and that just like ink splatter of blood is just it's those touches oh, yeah. are so cool. Um and again also like at the very beginning, Rain, when she's running into the hospital and the nurses are like, uh, no admittance, Rin Tin Tin, can't you read the sign? And the panel yeah. rain gets in their face and just yells, read this! Like, that panel is nuts! Yep. Uh, there's so much energy, so much intensity in the, in, in the way, in her face in that one. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know what I really love? That was really fun. Where, where, uh, where uh, Rain confronts, I, I think, where, where, uh, where she sees Richter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Richter yes. panel's great. Um, yeah, it just kind of flipped me through it. I'm just like, the the multiple man jump uh, showing up and attacking Boomer and and just like becoming like four people and, and the, the, the look on Boomer's face when yeah. she sees how many uh, what, uh, she's, nuts. what she's got herself into yeah yep um I also uh where is oh gosh where... and, and and one other panel I want to bring up this panel when when X Force decides they're gonna make an escape that panel with cannonball like blasting for all the multiple men it's 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 one wide panel in the page. It's not even yeah. the biggest panel of the page, but it's just it's just like beautifully you know yeah. drawn and, and and so full of so full of action. It's great. I also love I love um, the playing with the notion of the Wolfsbane versus Feral thing. Uh-huh. I love like Feral has been treated as this big badass like Morlock, Rob Liefeld creation. Like uh-huh. she almost she good at Cannonball and the one of her first missions. Like uh, and then Wolfsbane's like the nice repressed Catholic girl, and I love that in this issue. Wolfsbane mops the floor with her, and then I love that page where, like, um, Wolfsbane is, like, biting Feral's face while she's biting her arm, and then 
someone off panel goes, Feral, fall back. And she's like, no argument here. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, eh, nothing 40, 50 stitches won't take care of. Anyway, like, that's it, that's why it's one of my... It's, it's a delight to read every time. I kept unpacking new things every time I read it. Um, it's just... It's one of the best issues of X-Factor. I think it's one of the best because... Uh, it shows you how different all the, these three X-Men, like, divisions were at the time. X-Men, X-Force, X-Factor. And in a way, I would say it's one of the best issues for any three of those books because it really displays how they bounce off each other and how different they were. I'll stop raving. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man, you love it, you love it. Yeah. And, and there's, there's a lot to love about the issue. Oh, uh, yeah. this, 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 you know, this crossover, though, I think... Uh, it had so so many memorable bits. Aside from okay, we talked about the character moments and all that fun stuff. But man, I just, that, how can you forget? How can anyone forget? You know, when Apocalypse shows up at, at the at the school, <laughs> of the, uh, looking for the aid of the X Men, and then yeah. yes. uh, Archangel just goes just goes nuts, just like finally, you know, and and, and the uh, and the, the ending. I just remember the ending of that issue, like. Uh, he, he we, I did not come here to fight you, he says, you know, and, and I came to, to end this game. And the only hope of accomplishing that is for us to battle strife together. <laughs> it's like, whoa! <laughs> yeah. yeah. I blew my mind. Oh my god, they're gonna team up with Apocalypse. He's like, he's, he's like, he's evil incarnate. What are you gonna, doing, guys? <laughs> they're gonna team up with him. I mean, and then, uh, and then there's so many memorable, I mean, we were talking about the, the panels and, and, and just the, the art, like Jay Lee has so many brilliant bits in this thing. Like that that first page of X Factor eighty six, yeah. Scott and Gene, oh, oh yep. gorgeous. And it's it's um that's what is embedded or uh, what embossed on the cover of the hardcover. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's gorgeous. So many. Uh, and then you while well, you turn the page and then you get that great double page spread mm-hmm. of like all those high fashion looking X women. Like yep. Storm looks amazing, and like Wolverine's badass, and Psylocke looks gorgeous. Uh-huh. Oh man, I, I kind of miss this Jaylee. <laughs> I would like to see more of this again. Yeah, <laughs> tone it like yeah. it's almost like yeah. he could probably turn a book of this style out uh-huh. monthly, considering uh-huh. like how much detail he does now. Uh-huh. If he just would just like yeah, just do this uh-huh. every now and then, that'd be fine. Five yeah. pages of Superman, Batman. Do it like this. You'll be good. Um, we haven't discussed, like, the main, uh, the main point of this crossover, which was the Cable Strife mystery. Yes. Uh, which, Matt, we were, both of you were reading at the time, right? Yeah. So, because when I was, when I think when I first read this, I already knew that, like, Cable was probably Cyclops' son and was from the future. Neither of those things were known. Did we know that Cable was a time traveler at this time? Yes, we did, because of X-Men's yeah. number eight. Yeah, we knew that he was a time traveler, and we knew that we also knew that we knew from New Mutants 100 that Cable and Strife looked the same. And then from the Cable miniseries, we knew that Cable and Strife were not the same person, because we saw them in the same room, of course, uh, with their masks off. But basically, the, the rumor had been that that Cable was going to be revealed to be Nathan Summers, right? And that's been something that I've been dancing around. Going back to the issue where they send him off, where they send Nathan Summers off, uh, X-Factor 69, maybe? Um, 
And yeah. the very last page is the watcher talking about it. And I remember, I remember this was like a conspiracy theory stretch. Um, there were in the background were drawn like a bunch of different characters' faces on pieces of shattered glass, and specifically over the watcher's shoulder was a piece of shattered glass with Cable's face on it. Uh, as he was talking about like what would happen, what could happen with Nathan in the future. Uh, so everyone was like, it's right there from the very beginning. Um, which they've said in, in hindsight was like a production coincidence, but, um, like this, that was what was supposed to be definitively answered here. And it felt like, it felt like they were ready to do that. And then they pulled back on the, yes, this is him at the very last second. Yeah. They fumble at the something yard line. I don't know sports. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What did, what did you think, Pat? About the, uh, the, 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 the possible change, the, the, the changes, uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, to me, I wasn't, it wasn't really something that I was thinking of at the time because I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't privy to behind the scenes stuff. I, you know, I didn't yeah. have any access to anything. So I, I just thought this is how it was supposed to go. Even though, you know, and I don't recall anyway if I've read anything otherwise. I, I know Rob Liefeld had different plans for how this character was supposed to be at first, but yeah. oh, sure. I, I never really gave it much thought. But um, there's a point where I did think, you know, I, I, was, I was convinced that Strife was the, the, the kid, you know, was, was Nathan. Yeah. yeah. And, and <clears throat> they, they did a really good job convincing of that. And then until, you know, if you got to issue 12 of the story... To uh, that issue of X Force, where uh, where somehow Cable was able to was where you you you're kind of clued in it, it's Cable all along. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I liked that. I I I I I did not. Uh, I didn't think anything of it. I did not. Uh, I I have no objections to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, it is it is interesting. I don't know. Like they. That's what I mean. Like they go all the way up to it, but never actually say it. Like I don't think they never once firmly put the sentence together, oh, shit, like, I think Cable is your son. Like, they just show you all this stuff, and then at the very end, um, Cyclops is like, we had to sacrifice him a second time, and then Gene's like, Scott, no, you don't think, I don't know Gene, I don't know if we'll ever be sure. <laughs> but it's like, well, what, what, wait, none of you were saying the thing, <laughs> you're all like, but it's, it's like, it's all there, like, it's like Strife when he kidnaps Cyclops and Gene, he just keeps doing all these really creepy baby things to them. It was just super great. It's <laughs> like force feeding them slop, uh, and then like he like puts Gene Gray in some weird hand machine that's like groping her. I remember that one. Thing. Oh god! Yeah, it's just weird stuff. Uh. But I don't like. When do we even find out that Cable is definitively Cyclops' son? Like it's. Cause I, I don't mean, even remember that. That was it, uh, Cable Fathers and Sons. Oh yes, that was that uh, reprinted in uh, Cable Classic Volume Two. Okay, I believe it was. It was before the Bachelor Party issue of Uncanny, right? Three ten. Yeah, that that was a good issue too. Ramita Junior. Um, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything uh, other amazing stuff. Um. Greg Capullo, early Greg Capullo art. Guys, guys, Greg Capullo. Yeah, I I think that may have been my favorite period of of Greg Capullo's work. I mean, there's just something about it. You know, it's, 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 uh, he was like, um, 
you know, he reminds me of he 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 was like he was like he was like the Jim Chung of the area as as far as the art styles oh, go. Oh wow, yeah, I can you see, see that. that? Yeah, yeah, it's very it's kind of simplified, but at the same time very expressive. The thing that I like, yeah, it's incredibly expressive. It's like you get all the fun '90sness of like mm-hmm. shoulder pads and pouches and big guns and stuff, but he also is an amazing storyteller. And his the way like his layouts are phenomenal. His emoting is unparalleled. Like. His stuff, like, you could easily write off his stuff as just being, eh, it's 90s, but, like, there's so much going on there, and it's so great. I love it. And also, this, yeah. and also, I mean, like, we, um, we should also probably mention, um, that the, the epilogue issues of all of these series were some of the best stories. X-Force, oh, yeah. X-Force 19, X-Factor 87, Uncanny 397. I can't remember what the X-Men one was. Was that... Did that? Did they immediately go to that Russia... They, they, went, they went to the Russian thing yeah. right, right away. Yeah. The, um, the, the, the Dark Dimension thing yeah. with the Dark Star. But the other three had these really great uh, think piece issues that are amazing. <laughs> yep. That, yeah, that continued did. that great um, like character-driven stuff. Ah, I love that. Only one of them is included with the uh, hardcover, uh, the Uncanny Which, X-Men one. Yeah, Uncanny. That was a very powerful story, too, with Jubilee oh. and the Professor X. That was just, you know, I was like, oh, all the feels. <laughs> oh, yeah. And oh. and that was, that was like the first chance that those two characters actually got to have that sort of kitty moment. Like, Jubilee had been around and had been... The girl, the the young girl of the team for a long time, but never really had that bonding moment with the head of the school the way that you know Kitty was able to back yeah. in the day. Yeah, and you get that like Professor X because of the uh, techno organic virus has the ability just to walk for a little while longer, and so like they go roller skating and hang out and bond. <clears throat> and then at the end of the night, like they go back to where his wheelchair is, and he just starts to walk over there. But Jubilee notices that he's, like, stumbling a little bit. And she just, like, she wants to say, like, she wants to say, like, do you need help? But she can't bring herself to. Yeah. So she just watches him slowly, like, fall. Oh, I'm going to tear up just even saying it. But before he can hit the ground, she runs and catches him and then helps him to his wheelchair. Ugh, Scott Lobdell is really good sometimes. Yeah. I mean, he was was great back then. Yes. I, I, I liked his stuff back then. Oh, chokes me up. Um, yeah, there's yeah, this, 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 there are a lot of really strong emotional beats in the story, and it's it, the thing about the X Men events. Regard, no matter what anyone says about event comics, when you do an X Men event, it always it hits you at all the right places. I mean, there there's a very strong emotional story that that guides you know how everything goes. There's gonna be a lot of action. You're gonna see a lot of the characters interacting that you always want to see interact. That's always a guarantee, and, and Executioner's Song is really one of the best as far as that's concerned. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and it really hit at the, very, at the right time for me, too. So. Yeah, when, when that's such an important thing, too. Like, these, these sorts of stories, if they hit you like right at the right time in your life, you're going to hold on to them and, and revisit them, like, forever. Yeah. <clears throat> I would love to know, like, what someone just reading an Executioner song would think of it now. Well, let us know on 
Facebook.com slash they love comics. Please. Um, I do want to like wrap things up by just asking everyone, uh, uh-huh. who, what character, what like good guy and what bad guy do you think really stood out of the dozens of each? Are there a couple that you think uh, like were the most entertaining or like really came off really well? In this in this story, uh, well, aside from okay, but we'll we'll, we'll uh, deviate from the main characters. Um, I thought in this in this story, um, who am I thinking of? There there are a couple of them that, I, I, that sprung my. I'm trying to avoid Cable and Bishop and Wolverine, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I thought. We gain new dimensions uh, of apocalypse in this story. Yep. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I, I think we we so he's there's more to him than what we know. This is the first time we've ever seen him in I guess in 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 a moment of weakness. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know we glean more about Mister Sinister. They, I mean, they've kind of been cluing us in about how he's like this geneticist. <laughs> You know, mad, this crazy mad scientist guy. But we, but we never really got to see a lot of that until here. I think that's true. That's because true. after after this, they've really been pushing the geneticist, you know, thing. Yeah. Uh, Matt, who are your characters to watch in this? Um, I, you know, I'm gonna have to go with Alex Summers. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with, you, you know, it's funny the the people that seem to have like the closest relations to these guys, Alex Summers, uh, Sam Guthrie, and honestly, Strife, like this was, this was the call. It's weird because reading this, this is the culmination of everything that this character ever wanted to do, which is I think why it's his ultimate hissy fit. It directly <laughs> deals with his origin. It directly deals with where he came from, and he has to confront the idea that everything that he believed in was a lie, and and then he ultimately fails at his at his goal. You know, and it's interesting because this was his biggest moment, and I don't think this character's ever done certainly not anything as big as this story. But well, he's I mean, pretty much stayed gone, like for the most part. Yeah, yeah, like he's come back a couple times, but it's very, like he had that one X Force story in the future. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then, other than that, when has he physically shown up in the books uh, since Executioner's Song? Yeah. Um. Didn't he appear in uh, uh, Messiah War? Right, right. That was. I'm sorry. That's what I meant. That. Um, and I know he appeared in in an X Men annual of some kind he, beforehand. Oh. He came back in X Force number seventy five. I think oh, that was the did? first time that he came back after this was X Force seventy five. Yeah, I, he was I in think, hell. <laughs> I think he was also involved in the remember the Gambit and Bishop yes. mini crossover thing. Yep, yeah, yeah. That like wrapped up both of their ongoings. Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah. I think the bad guy in that. Oh yeah! Oh wow! But so like, I mean, yeah, nothing, yeah, nothing that downgrade. big. Downgrade. <laughs> yeah, downgrade. <laughs> Loser. He's out. <laughs> you uh, guys are gonna go. Yeah. I'm getting. An, I'm getting the uh, uh, prices right. Uh, sad loss music right <laughs> now. 
Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I, you know, I was a bad guy for a big X event. <laughs> I used to be a bad guy for a big X event. Now I'm now I'm showing up for the Bishop and Gambit event. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man, that's yeah, all I, I got left. Cannibal Havoc and Apocalypse are my three. They all come off great in this. I think. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I'm really glad that Pat suggested this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because uh, we all love X Men, which brings us to uh, part two of this episode. Surprise. Lagoo. Well, uh, we'll be on Pat's podcast, Loikomania, discussing all things X Men. Uh, yes. Uh, we'll just we'll you know we'll just go free form, just talking about X Men, things we love, the favorite you know our favorite bits, all, all that fun <laughs> stuff. Man, it, it, it's it's you know no rules. We just go nuts talking X Men stuff. So yeah, if you want to hear more of that, more of the uh, chat that you just heard us here, you know, it, it, well. Go over there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just like, imagine this is Uncanny 294. Loikomania <laughs> is X Factor 84, part one and two. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so Pat, let everyone know where can we find you online. Um, go to loikomania.com for the podcast. Uh, you love X Men stuff. Uh, we, I, I've spoken with a lot of X Men creators all, over the course of the uh, show. So. Yeah, check that out. Uh, go to uh, twitter.com slash patloika and follow me there. Or go to about.me slash patloika. That takes you to all of my social networking stuff. That's smart. Get it all in one place. We, we, yes. we should look into that. <laughs> awesome. Ah. Uh, if you guys are interested in purchasing Executioner Song, there's a pretty sick hardcover that you can purchase by going to mattandbrettlovecomics.com and buying it through our Amazon links in this episode's show notes. Because any purchase that you guys make on Amazon, through our online store, kicks a little bit of money back to us, and we like making it rain. Or, if, <laughs> oh. if you're a, uh, a digital convert, uh, like Pat and I, uh, Pat, I am I'm like all digital anymore, mm-hmm. um, you can head over to Comixology and pick up the individual issues that make up the Executioner's song there. Yeah. Yes, all, <clears throat> all of them are there, including the uncanny issue we just mentioned, 297. Yeah. So good. It's good stuff. <laughs> and so we'll, we'll, oh, and while you're at mattbrettlovecomics.com, <laughs> you should check out our back issues, uh, like the episode where comedians Curtis Rutherford and Katie Healy Wurzberg talked about four different Spider-Man origins, or when comedians Anna Rubinova and Nicole Dressel talked about the Gotham Central story arc Half a Life. Oh man, so super good. intense. Yeah. Uh, guys, we always love hearing from you, and tell us what you think about this or any other episode on our website or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theylovecomics. You can also find links to all of our social media presence under the Who Loves Comics tab on our website. Uh, and guys, you are our best spokespeople, so if you like what you heard here today, please rate us and review us uh, individually as human beings or the show itself in <laughs> iTunes, um, and let us know on Facebook. Yeah, as always, thank you to our producer, Ben Regeeb, who does all the things we don't know how to do. Ben, you are the adamantium under our skeleton. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh, you are the, you're the jubilee to our bishop, bringing us muffins when we're holding guns. Oh, <laughs> adorable. Oh, great. Uh, and definitely check out uh, Loikomania. We will let you guys know when that episode goes up. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. All X-Men, all the time. All the time. Yeah, yeah, guys, jump on and follow Pat everywhere. Uh, he's constantly posting great 
great photos from conventions and from his amazing, uh, uh, his amazing, I want to say palace. Uh, oh, it's just a studio. <laughs> dude, your, your studio is incredible. Um, yeah, so follow him everywhere, and you you couldn't you couldn't make friends with a better guy, everyone. Yeah, oh, thank you. Um, you guys are awesome too. Yay! Ah. <clears throat> We're all friends. Thanks again, Yay. Pat, and we will see everybody with our eyes because we're always watching you. <laughs> Until next time, this is Matt. This is Brett, and, and we terrified you. And we terrified you, <laughs> and we love comics. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Yay, with our eyes, we're behind you. Oh God. Sweet.